You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Griot, and this week we're sitting down with Charlemagne the God. So we had a lot to talk about with Charlemagne the God, who has a ton of big news coming our way. Aside from the recent announcement that Angela Yee will be leaving The Breakfast Club to start her own spinoff show, Way Up with Angela Yee, he's also got a new iteration of his late night comedy show, Hitting the Small Screen. Comedy Central's Hell of a Week with Charlemagne the God will feature influential guests, and Charlemagne's hilarious and unfiltered take on the most talked about topics of the week. It premiered on July 28th, and it's executive produced by Charlemagne as well as Stephen Colbert. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a half-hour weekly show that features unlikely pairings of comedians, celebrities, and thought leaders across the political spectrum to debate the current events permeating politics and culture with influential guests unpacking the stories blazing the headlines. Comedy Central's Hell of a Week will showcase a hilarious and off-the-cuff Charlemagne bolstering the late-night talk show format that churns America's news into digestible soundbites. We also spoke to him about how he feels about Angela's big move, why he thinks women are the most powerful force in media right now, and what he might be looking for in a co-host to fill her spot. We also dig deep into his kind of mental health journey and find out how he ended up becoming a mental health advocate. Spoiler alert, it was not on purpose. Um, and how his father and his relationship with his father really inspired that journey. It's a really important conversation that I think we all need to hear. So let's get into it. Hey, Charlemagne. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you too. I feel like we've got a lot of a lot to talk about today. You've <laughs> got a lot going on. I'm excited about this new show. They're the new iteration of this show, I should say. Hell of a week. And I mean, it's already been hell of a week. You got We got a big announcement from uh, Angela Yee this week, leaving The Breakfast Club. Yeah. How do you feel about that transition? I feel ecstatic for her. You know what I mean? Extremely happy for her because, you know, The Breakfast Club, and I'm glad we're on the grill because I can have this conversation. Like, you know, we've never seen a hip hop morning show have the kind of run that the breakfast club is having. And this happens with white shows all the time. Like when you look at somebody like Elvis Duran, who's a, a, a staple, you know, at Z100, legendary radio personality. He's in the radio hall of fame. He's been around for a long time. You know, he's had about three or four different co-hosts go on to do their own shows, you know, like, like literally like, you know, Greg T and, uh, Carolina, they're on KTU right now. You've had mm -hmm. Carla and Anthony come from his sh uh, from his show, and they had a morning show in Seattle. His original co-host, whose name escapes me right now, but he's got a hit radio show somewhere. So for the Breakfast Club to be able to be a franchise, to be around almost 13 years and have somebody, you know, like like Angela Yee go on to do her own show, which is kind of like a, it is a spinoff of the Breakfast Club, because she's going to be coming on right after us. I think that's what people don't realize. Like, <laughs> when you're traveling around the country and you hear the Breakfast Club on in the morning, Literally right after we go off, Angela Yee's going to come on with her show Way Up with Angela Yee. You know, if you remember, Ange all of us come from doing our own shows. Like, I had my own morning show before Breakfast Club. Envy was doing his own afternoon show. Angela Yee was doing, you know, Shade 45, you know, hosting her, the mornings on Shade 45, hosting her show. So 
to me, man, this is the way things are supposed to be. It's about evolution. It's about growth. Like, you know, we in the Radio Hall of Fame. Like, you know, we 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 already home, as as Hove said. So for her to say, you know what, I've done this for 13 years. I've 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 came, I saw, I conquered. Now I wanna, you know, try on some new challenges. I love it. To me, that's what that's what life is about. So I'm I'm extremely happy for her. And and I'm extremely happy for what the next iteration of Breakfast Club is gonna look like. Cause you know, like I said, we are a franchise and you know, we've always looked at the show as a club. So what does a club have? A, cl a club has a lot of members. Yeah. So, you know, l let's, let's see what's next. Let's see who's, who's coming next. You know, might be one person, might be two, who knows, mm -hmm. you know, but that's a process that I'm not even in that zone yet because like, this is going to be like a year from now before y'all see somebody in this, in this seat permanently, you know, maybe longer, who knows. You think you'll have a rotating kind of guest host situation until then? Definitely. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when you watch shows like The View or The Real, when, when, when The Real was around, like, you know, whenever they would lose somebody, they would always rotate the guests. I think that's the that's the thing that makes sense the most. And that's honestly why I'm so excited. You know what I mean? Because, you know, every other week you could hear a new personality in here, a new energy in here. And, you know, i will be lying to y'all if if I told y'all that I'm 95% I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, so, so to me, it's just like, man, you think about I think women right now have the strongest voices in media. Like, I don't think there's nobody speaking truth to power. And I'm talking about on all aspects from politics to, you know, pop culture, the sports, everything. Like, I think the best personalities nowadays are women. So it's just like it's going to be exciting, you know, to have new female energy in here every other week, or every other month. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's definitely going to be, you know, rotating guests. Well, we're excited. We can't wait to see what's next there. And we can't wait to see what's next in store for a hell of a week. You've got some really great guests lined up. It's a perfect time to talk to you right now. It's comedy month at the Griot. You've got a lot of comedians coming through. And I feel like this show leaves a little bit more room than the last iteration for some levity, if you will. Was that intentional? Definitely was intentional. You know, um, first season, you know, my man, Chris McCarthy, he was like, look, man, you know, we we in this for the long haul. So I just, I want you to experiment, you know? And one thing that I wanted to experiment with was, you know, doing more long form commentary by myself. Like, you know, people hear me every day with Donkey of the Day. And, you know, that's like me going off for like five, seven minutes. But I just, I really wanted to see if that's something that I could do, you know, much for, for, for much longer. Like when you watch The Daily Show with Trevor Noah or even Jon Stewart back in the day, that's something that they did. But, you know, what I realized is um, even though I can do that, like my strength comes in community conversations, you know, conversations with a community of people. Like that's where, you know, I shine. Like whether it's uh, uh, having a conversation as in, in interview form or, you know, sitting around at a panel, kicking it with people, you know, talking and building. So that is what this season doing more of. That's why we have the panel, you know, and I want to mix it up. Like I want the politicians and the political strategists and, you know, the political pundits. And then I want the comedians and I want the athletes. I want... A little bit of everybody who got something to say. Do you feel, you know, oftentimes I talk to people and we're talking like retrospectively about their career, the impact that their moves have had on the community. But I would argue that, you know, your presence in this game has really bridged a gap between all of those kind of subject matters that you've just mentioned, whether we're talking about pop culture, something crazy that happened in the headlines, politics, mental health, like you're bringing an audience together to talk about all of those things at the same time and kind of providing the space 
to be allowed to care about all of those things equally. And I think that that's really groundbreaking. Do you recognize that particular impact that your career continues to have on our community? Yes. And I, I got to thank my mother for that. And I got to thank hip hop for that. And the reason I got to thank my mother for that is because my mother was a Jehovah Witness who was an English teacher. And when I was young, she told me to read things that don't pertain to me. Like she she said that to me verbatim. And that's something that always stuck with me. So when I would go into the library, plus the book it program, you had to read four books, you know, to get a free pizza. So I was devouring everything because I literally wanted to eat. A, I wanted pizza every Friday. So I would literally run through <laughs> these books and it started with Judy Bloom and Beverly Clearly. And then, you know, I started buying, you know, getting books about the supernatural out of the library. And then like I would be reading like the Jehovah Witness, uh, the Watchtowers and the Awakes and the My Book of Bible Stories. And I was just always a consumer of content. Like I was just a consumer of interesting content. I literally was the person who would like just pick up an encyclopedia and just start reading it. Like literally just, just because, and I mean, because I saw Malcolm X say that he read the dictionary in jail and the autobiography of Malcolm X is the first book my dad ever gave me when I was young. So yes. And then hip hop, you know, man, I learned about so many historical figures listening to rap music. You know, when, when Chuck D said things like, you know, Farrakhan's a prophet. I think you ought to listen to him. Like, or when we were walking around with the Malcolm X hats and the African medallions, like all of these things I wanted to know more about. So I, I always knew hip hop was way broader than maybe, you know, certain aspects of hip hop were presenting. I always knew that. Like I, mm -hmm. I learned so much about religion and, you know, politics and everything else just from the music. So I always knew, you know, we were broader than what we presented. And, you know, seeing guys like Tupac, you know, like, he was he was the perfect balance of ratchetness and righteousness. So like me, I'm not an expert at anything. I didn't go to college. I don't have a major in anything other than life. So all I do is share these different aspects of my life. And these are things that I'm actually interested in. Like I didn't set out to be a mental health advocate. I just needed that. I needed the help. I needed to do the work on myself. I, you know, I looked in the mirror one day and did not like what I saw. I realized that I was projecting pain on people. I realized that I was a hurt person that was, you know, hurting others. And when you got this microphone and you are, you know, impacting millions of people, that's not a good energy to have. You know what I'm saying? So even though like a lot of things I might've done and they were, they laugh and people laugh, a lot of that might've been at other people's, you know, expense. And so it's just like between that and just wanting to like, I love my dad. So I mean this with all due respect with not wanting to end up like my dad and not wanting to do my wife, the way I saw it, my dad do my mom, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to really just make a change to be a better, better human. And it's like, when you're doing that, that's going to reflect just like the pain reflects or anything else reflects. They say hurt people, hurt people, healed people, help other people heal, you know? And it, that's, that's, that's what it is. So all of these things you're talking about, they're literally just, that's just who I am. Like, it's not something I'm intentional about. I'm just intentional about being all aspects of who I am at all times. Who or what do you think gave you that permission, that time where you looked in the mirror, saw someone that you didn't necessarily want to be and decide that you were going to break that cycle? Like who gave you the permission to step out and do that? Because we talk about mental health now the way we talk about the weather, but that wasn't even the case five, 10 years ago. Oh uh, man, it's a lot of people. Uh, Amanda Stills, Angela Rye, my man Pete Davidson, Neil Brennan, because these were people that were always having those conversations, you know, Debbie Brown, you know, and, and, and you know, me and Debbie been my friend for 17 years, like, no, 15, 15 years, something like, I don't know, long time. Uh, 
I mean, I just had so many people around me that were already going to therapy, you know, like that were already doing the work, that were already on, was already on this journey of healing. And I would just hear them talk about it. And, you know, uh, my good friend Jasmine Waters, you know, uh, God bless the dead. You know, she was she was one of those people that, you know, from the age of 18, she was in therapy. So th these are conversations we always used to have. And, and you know, these people were telling me I need to go to therapy. Like, they, they, you know, I, I would hear them talk about it. And then, you know, they started telling me, yo, you need to really go do the work. I remember Amanda Steele saying one time, like, yo, people were, she was like, she was like men, I forgot what she said. She was, I forgot how she worded it, worded it, but I'm paraphrasing, but she was just like, you know, men are afraid to step out there and do the work on themselves. And she was just like, yo, I just, I just, I want to challenge all men to go do the work on themselves. And it's just like, for me, it was a challenge that, you know, I accepted because I did want to be a better person. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we all have a, we all have that, uh, that, 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 those, that shadow energy around us. Right. And it's just like, for me, I didn't like, I didn't like that. I didn't like, I didn't like myself to be totally honest with you. I thought I did, but what I liked was a version of myself that I had created you know, this, this caricature, because the caricature was actually protecting Leonard, right? And this caricature was, was, was keeping people from seeing my hurt and keeping people from seeing my pain. But it's just like, man, I, I, I got, I, I got four daughters at the time. I only had two, but it's just like, yo, I didn't want to be that. And, you know, when I started having that conversation, my dad, you know, he, he told me that he was going to therapy two and three times a week, that he tried to kill himself back in the day, that he was on 10 to 12 different medications throughout his life, that, you know, the state of South Carolina started giving him what we call a crazy check because they couldn't figure out, you know, what else to do with him other than put him on medication and give him some money every month. And it's just like, man, all of that just started to help me piece together, like, my life in a real way. Because, you know, one of the things that I realized when I was in therapy is that I had a lot of daddy issues. Like, a lot. Like, a lot of this whole projection this this idea of what I thought manhood was a lot of it came from like my pops I mean a lot to the point where I, you know even when I and I talked about it in my first book but when I confronted him about cheating on my mom like he literally looked at me and was like you only got one girlfriend so when you say that to a 16 year old 17 year old young man and this guy is just trying to get validation from his dad his first you know male role model it's like, well, damn, I'm supposed to be out here. I'm supposed to be a player playing in these streets, you know? And, and only for him to come back all these years later and say, you know, man, you know, the thing I regret the most, man, is like, you know, messing up with your mom. And, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I really love how you, you know, hold, hold your family down and, you know, how you are with your wife and kids. And I'm like, you should have told me that 30 years ago, damn near. You know what I mean? But I give him grace because, like I said, he had his own issues. And we are a generation, we're the first generation to have the luxury of healing. The generation before us didn't have that. They was too busy scratching and surviving, you know? We, they didn't have the luxury of healing. We're the first generation that has the luxury of, of healing. So, you know, that, all of that helped me give him more grace and it just helped me align my chakras the right way. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for being so candid with me about that. And, you know, you reminded me of a conversation I had with Amanda just last week. And I was talking about like what a crazy time it must be to be a comedian these days, because number one, like you said, we all have this luxury of healing now, but I think we're also hyper sensitive to our own and each other's like triggers 
And part of comedy has always been going to the tough places, making light of the tough things, finding levity in things that sometimes we can't even bring ourselves to talk about. And and when you do that, you're going to offend somebody. Um, you know, I watch The Right to Offend. I watch so many documentaries about comedians. And I just feel like it almost sometimes feels like, like we don't deserve comedy right now. Like we can't take it. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And what Amanda said was that she feels like what happens now is that comedians used to be audiences used to come to comedians specifically for comedic experience. And now often she feels like they're coming not to get the comedy, but to poke holes in it, you know, or you read a book to point out all the ways it could have been written better. And so as a comedian, I would imagine, especially one who is sensitive to mental health and people's triggers and, you know, wanting to be inclusive, like, where do we even start to draw the line now between having that real open, safe space and, you know, kind of allowing for all of these sensitivities? Um, well, you know, I, 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 I always say I'm not a comedian. I'm a radio personality. Um, you know, I do use the lens of humor to you know, message things, but I honestly feel like regardless of what form of communication you're doing, what form of art you're doing, whether it's music, whether it's writing books, whether it's comedy, whatever it is, you know, if you are going to say what it is you feel like you need to say, like if the spirit is moving you, if your intention is only to, you know, get people to observe this, you know, in a different way, and if your intention is pure, um, you can't be afraid to say what it is that, you know, you need to say because you're like you said, you're always going to offend somebody. There is nobody out there who is ever going to please everyone. And if you're if your goal is to please everybody, you always going to lose. Like because it's impossible. Like there's always going to be a debate. There's always going to be pushback. There's always going to be a critic that doesn't like what you're doing. Like, you know, um, the rule of 10 is two things. Uh, two people told me my man Cadillac Jack who first hired us here at the Breakfast Club, and my father, Cadillac Jack, said the rule of 10. Three people going to like it. Three people not going to like it. Four people going to be on the fence about it, or they won't even care. That's life. That's just the way things are. My daddy always said, you're never as good as they say you are, and you're never as bad as they say you are. And that's it. And that's just like how I always um, move. And guess what? If I say something and I did offend someone, if I did trigger somebody, I have no problem apologizing. Like, none. Whatsoever, like zero, zilch, nada. And sometimes, man, you know, especially in these this TV game, you know, because, you know, it's, it's not like radio where you're on or a podcast where you're on and you're just talking. And then after the fact, you got to deal with all the backlash after the fact because it's already been said. With TV, you're, you're, you're writing and you have POVs, right? And sometimes you might have a POV or something. You weren't even looking at it like that in no way, shape or form. And somebody will point something out to you. You know, I... I you know, I I was talk. It was a it, it was a person we were talking about. Um, it was actually Serena Williams, actually. And uh, you know, Serena recently said she's retiring, but she don't like the word retirement. She likes the word, you know, transition. And you know, it was just uh, it was something. It was a commentary that I had in the in the in the studio, the TV studio, and like somebody just was like, they just pointed it out, like, yo, you know, we should be careful with that because. A lot of the right wing likes to label Serena as they they say she's a, like a a man, like she's built like a man and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I was like, oh, and I never, I didn't even think about it. Like that wasn't even the correlation I was trying to make or nothing. But right. when they told me that, 
I got respect for Serena. I never met her or anything, but I just got respect for her and reverence. So I would never want to even put fuel on that fire, you know? So mm -hmm. I kind of like took it out of her and just made it about me and the community in regards to how we use we use certain words. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to purposely hurt anybody. I don't want to purposely offend anyone, but if I'm having a real honest conversation about something and somebody gets triggered or somebody's hurt by something I said, then there's nothing wrong with apologizing. Sometimes apologizing opens up a whole other conversation. Like you can't be too big to apologize, right? Absolutely. I could talk to you forever, but I have got to let you go. I think I have time for one more question. And I was just looking at your guest list. you got Sam J coming up, who I adore. I think that she is so brilliant and what she's doing in the comedy space is really moving the needle to people understanding and people understanding who didn't even know that they didn't understand until they started listening to Sam J. Talk to me about, you know, what is your opinion of her comedy specifically? Yeah, Sam J's on the night. Um, she's on the night. You know, we come on eleven thirty right after the Daily Show. I mean, Sam J's just dope to me. Like, you know, and and it's once again, everything you just said is I know that's how people look at a person like her. Um, but for me, it's like I just think she's smart. I think she's funny. Like same way I think Chris Rock is smart. Same way I think Chris Rock is funny. You know, same way I think you know Kevin Hart, Dave Chappelle. You know, Andrew Schultz, they're just smart. They're just funny. And they're telling me their perspectives of the world. I think what makes Sam J so unique is that she's telling her perspective of the world. But at the, the, the root of it all, she's smart and she's funny. And it's so it's wild, right? Like, I don't go out much. I think everybody knows that. But for whatever reason, when I go out, I always run into Sam J. Like, literally. It's like, literally. Like, <laughs> when I'm out, like, I was in, I was at, I went to... And my man Andrew Schultz had a comedy show at Radio City. He had an after party somewhere. I'm like, all right, let's go to the after party. Sam J. Uh, I'm somewhere. I, I, where was I at? I was at a, I was at a, some other event. Sam J. And, you know, her partner. And then the other night we was uh, after the comedy show. Dave Chappelle, you know, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart, Sam J. So I always end up in spaces with Sam J. And we, we kick it and we have conversation. I just think she's a dope person. And I, I don't even think, you know, we've scratched the surface of, you know, what we're going to see from Sam J. I agree. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a total pleasure. Can't wait for this season of this show. And as always, we appreciate the work that you continue to do. Thank you, Courtney. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Acting Up. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcasts at thegrio.com. Follow us on Instagram at actingup.pod. Acting Up is an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell.